pray. Gracious Lord, thank you for your word of promise, for your word of encouragement, for your word of strength that we would hear today. And that these words would speak to our hearts, our spirits, our minds, that we'd be shaped into the very likeness of Christ Jesus, who is with us now and always. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. One of the uh, traditions, I think, now at our Vacation Bible School Week is uh, what's called uh, God sightings. I don't know if this is in the curriculum every year or it's just something we do every year, but it's, it's become one of the, the expectations of, of what we do as, as a group and what the kids do. And what we mean by God sightings is every night of Vacation Bible School, the kids begin in here. You know, this room's cleared out if you saw the pictures, and, and they start and... Um, they start in, in, with music and singing and some words of instruction. And then the end of the night finishes back in here again with some music and with a, a recap of the focus of the, of the day. This, this year it was um, Wilderness Adventure. Am I remembering that? Was it Wilderness Adventure? Wilderness Adventure, and it focused on the story of, of Moses. If you see um, some of the pictures that have been put up, you'll see Moses, the big white beard, and that's, that's Moses. And part of that recap is usually Tony or, or Jenny was up here, and they would read some of the God sightings the kids had come up with during, the, during the, that VBS. And they would write them on these stickers. I know you can't see these. These are footprints. But they'd write their God sightings, and they'd stick them with posters all around the room. And the purpose of the God sightings was just to get the kids thinking about the places that they'd seen God, the experiences where they'd seen the, the evidence, the evidence of God. And so you, you, you got things like um, in a sunrise, that was one, or in the rain, the, the, the God. You, you get a lot of uh, being nice to my sister or being nice to my brother, those kind of things. And then you get some, some interesting ones. We had God sightings that were um, frogs and um, spiders uh, and bugs. You know, they, they stretch some of those God sightings. Um, but it's, it's fascinating to, to have a moment. And then there was a lot from what I've heard from teachers that were talked about in the classroom that never made it into the discussion because we had to kind of refrain reframe some God sightings uh, and, and help them think a little bit differently that, you know, maybe smacking your brother wasn't a God sighting, um, you know, that kind of stuff. And because and, they're kids, and, and that's the way kids' minds work. But the intention, the purpose of it is to impress upon the children the importance of learning to see God and the evidence of God's hand and God's grace and God's love. And the truth is, that's not a children's lesson. I mean, it is, but it's so much more because it's our lesson. Part of our, our call, part of our challenge of faith, part of our walk with, with Christ is to, to be God-siders, to be the, the kind of people that learn to see the hand and the work and the presence and the love of God and the realities 
of our lives. But I think that gets really hard. Not all the time. I mean, there, there are moments in our lives when it's really, really easy. I mean, if I think about my life and the birth of, of my kids, that, that was an easy moment to see God's hand. And in some of the great joys and celebrations of life and in, in, in um, the experience of life, it's easy to identify or at least to see God's presence. But in other moments, in other times, in other places, it gets hard because life gets hard. You know, the, it's interesting. The kids... Uh, God sightings, they, they really were kind of surface level. They were, they were kind of simple, you know, sunrise and rain and spiders. And that's exactly what they should be. That's exactly where we'd hope they'd be. We would hope that at age 8 and 6 and 10 and 11, they have not had the tough experiences of life. We know that's not always the case. But, but our hope is, you know what, their mind is still operating at that surface level because that's where we want them to be. But most of us aren't at that surface level anymore. We've walked life. We've walked the ups and downs of life. And we know the reality that there are times in our lives it's, it's hard to see God. It's hard to, to, to wonder or, or to, to identify the hand of God because the circumstances aren't exciting and joyful and happy. They're challenging and difficult and scary. And, and Paul knows this. And Paul writes into this reality. You know, we, we tend or I tend to focus on those wonderful words of affirmation at the end of, of Romans chapter 8 of, of God's presence. But, but step back for a second. You know, in verse 35, Paul poses a question. He says, who can separate us from the love of Christ? And then he says this. He says, shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? But he poses the scenarios. Now he's going to answer that in just a moment. But, but think, he, he says, can all these really tough things, can the darkness and the trouble and the difficulty, can they separate us from the love of God? And we want to get to the no part, but first we've got to stop at the difficult part because Paul's affirming right there in, in the question. He's affirming the, the, the reality of, of our existence, the reality that he knows that those brothers and sisters in Christ, that the, the church that he's writing to, he knows what the challenges are that they're facing. And so he poses the question because he knows they're going to face hardship and difficulties and perils and sword and, and nakedness. He knows that these realities are going to, to be present, maybe not in all of their lives, but in some of their lives. And so he names the challenge, if you will. And that's important. I know that when I started the road to ministry, you know, I, I thought I'm going to I'm going to learn the answers. And I took Bible Bible and 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 um, theology courses as an undergrad, and then I went to seminary and I did three years of intense theology and pastoral training, 
And I thought, I'm going to come out. The purpose of, of what I'm called to do is to be the person with the answers. There's naivety speaking. That, that you know, the, the congregation can come to and I'll be able to, to answer the questions. And I learned that some of the most terrifying and, and unsettling conversations I have are conversations that begin like this. Pastor, let me ask you a question. Or, can you explain to me? Because what I realized is, there was a lot of questions I just didn't have answers to. I had insights. In fact, I, I think what has happened is, I, I've learned to embrace the uncertainty. I've learned to embrace the mystery. That's been part of the, the evolution of, of my own life and my own walk with faith. You know, I came out as the idealistic. I mean, I was 26 years old when I was ordained. And I was like, I'm going to, you know, my role is to be the theological bulldozer. When you have the, the, the mounds, the questions, I'm going to smooth them right out for you. What I realize is I'm not so good at that. I don't know if any of us are so good at that. So I've become more the pastor with a pick. Then maybe we can just round off some of the edges. And we can wrestle with the questions together because there are those questions that I have insight to, but I don't know that I have satisfactory answers, at least not the kind we're looking for. And, and the question really is the, the why questions. Because that's what, what kind of is, is underneath these, these circumstances and these situations that we go through. Why? You know, why do we face hardship and persecution and peril? Why do we have all these things that, that Paul is, is referencing here? And, and sometimes we just we don't have real good answers to those why. At least I don't. I have insight, but, but not always the kind of answers we want. It reminds me of the conversation the caterpillar has with Alice in Wonderland in um, Lewis Carroll's book, you know. Uh, do you know yourself? And she says, no, and neither do you. You know, there's just, we just, there's a lot of unknowing. And we strive for answers. We strive for understanding, and, and that's, that's important, and it's, a, it's appropriate. But sometimes I think we have to even go to deeper promises that are in the midst of those realities. And that's really what Paul is speaking to. He's not speaking to the why, but he's giving a promise in the midst of. He's not, see, because here's, here's what I know. If, if I was God, if I was God, and it's a good thing I'm not, but I would show partial favoritism. I would bless those more who love me. Because isn't that what we do? I mean, don't we want the best for the people that love us the most? I mean, don't we wish the very, very best on, on the people that... Um, are the closest to us. And, and I mean, I want more blessing. I'll, I'll just be flat out honest. I mean, I want everybody to do well, but I want Ryan and Cassie and Tony to do better because I'm more invested in their lives. They're more invested in mine. I, I, I was, Jill, I don't know, I should, Jill Rogers was at the, I don't know how many of you know Jill, but she's a, she's a member of the, of the church. And she was at um, Circle K this week. And, uh, she, she posted this on Facebook that she saw this guy at the counter that she thought was having a medical emergency because he was almost starting to like hyperventilate. And she got her phone out. She was ready to call 911. Turns out the guy had just 
won a million dollars on a scratch-off ticket. And this Circle K. Now, here's the thing. Good for him. Good for him. But had that been, if I could create the scenario, even though I don't buy scratch-off tickets, I might have in this case, um, I would want that to be, I'm happy that that guy won it, but boy, do I wish, I wish it was Jill. I don't know that she buys tickets. Let me preface that. But I, I know Jill, and, and Jill's a part of our family. So, gosh, I, I kind of wish it was her. Or maybe I wish it was one of you. Or let me be really, really honest. I wish it was me. Um, but that's kind of the, the, the way that we operate. You know, we, it's not that we wish bad on anybody. I hope we don't. But we wish better on the people that are close to us. Well, I, I sometimes wonder. You know, it's that question. Well, God, if, if the people that I know that love you, that, that are faithful, why doesn't the best things happen to them? Why, why do they have to go through some of the stuff that I see us go through? And it's the partial treatment that I wish, well, no, I don't, because there would be some ramifications there, but I think sometimes that God should show. But we know life doesn't operate that way. We know that just because you've given your life to Christ, it doesn't mean that better things are going to happen to you in this life than the person who doesn't believe. We, we know that we've had our friends and family and loved ones who've gone through some really tough stuff. And, and we've, we've sat with the questions. I think I've sat with the questions, why? And, and I have some theological answers. I have some philosophical answers. But I don't know how satisfactory they are. Well, what Paul says to us here. Paul's not attempting to answer the why. Paul's saying these things do happen. But here's a promise that you can count on. That in those moments, God's there. Here's the promise of faith. That in your difficulties, in your hardships, in your persecution, there is no circumstance, there's no situation, there's no reality, there's no difficulty, there's no obstacle that's so great, that's so deep, that's so overpowering that you're removed from the very presence of God. God's in it, even when we don't always see it. And so, we have a testimony. In fact, at VBS, Jimmy and Lori Racky's class, they had the, I think, second graders. And one, one of the nights, I was standing up here on the stage, and Jimmy brought them in here, and they had these safari hats on, and they had these butterfly nets. And he said, we're hunting God sightings. That's what they were doing. They were hunting for God sightings, which I thought was so cool. We, we have a Bible that is full of the stories of men and women who learn how to see God in those extremely difficult places of life. I mean, I was thinking about God sightings in the Bible. I was thinking about Moses at the burning bush. That was a God sighting. I was thinking about uh, the prophet Elijah when he was on the mountain and he was in the cleft and the scripture says that, you know, there was the, the wind and the earthquake and the thunder and the lightning and, and he had a God sighting. And, uh, you know, I was thinking about the blind man, Bartimaeus, who had a God sighting that led to his healing. Or the woman who saw Jesus in a crowd that led 
to our healing. Or the centurion who stood at the foot of the cross when Jesus was being crucified and recognized Jesus as the Son of God who had a God sighting. Or the criminal who was being crucified next to Jesus who in that moment had a God sighting. Over and over the scriptures are full of men and women who have moments of intense God sightings. But here's what is so fascinating. Very often they happen in the very dark places of life. Moses saw God in a burning bush, but you know he was in exile in the desert. Elisha saw God on that mountain. You know he was running for his life because the queen wanted him dead. Bartimaeus had a God sight and he was blind. Hannah cried out to God because of her inability to have a child and she has a God sighting. The woman who was healed was an social outcast because of her 12 years of bleeding. The centurion was a Roman soldier who was part of the group that was very, was responsible for Jesus' crucifixion. The criminal who was on the cross next to him, who was being rightfully condemned for his crimes. Very often the God sightings don't happen in the mountaintop experiences. They do happen there. But they happen in the trial and the difficulties and the hardships. That's what Paul says. God's there. That's the promise. He's not trying to answer the why. He's trying to give the word of hope in the midst of. God is there. You know, I, I read these words this week. I came across it in my study, and it was a sermon that uh, Desmond Tutu gave the year after 9-11. So it was the one-year anniversary. And this is part of just a, a brief Part of his sermon, he says, You've probably heard the story of a little Jew in the concentration camp, humiliated and taunted by his Nazi guard. And one day he's asked to clean out the restrooms, and the Nazi guard standing above him taunts him and says, Where is your God now? And the little Jew replied quietly, He's right here with me in the muck. Our God is the one who is right here who was right here when the planes were hitting their targets as the passengers sat, no, sat knowing that they were going, rushing into a fiery, explosive death. God was there as the buildings crumbled, there in the blinding, choking dust of the rubble, in the depths of the collapsed buildings. In the anguish, God was there. In the anguish of the movement, in the darkness, in the bewilderment, in the senselessness of it all, God, Emmanuel, is still here. God is with you. For God is the same yesterday, today, and forever, wiping away your tears, pouring balm on your wounded souls. See, Paul just wants to say the words that I think so often we need to be reminded of. God is there. God is there. And, and we don't always have the whys, but we have the promise. And, and so he, he has, you know, when I was growing up, Dad always had these kind of silly sayings that he'd lay on us. Um, you know, things I remember as you go through life. Make this your goal. Keep your eye on the donut, not on the hole. You know, those kind of things. And he would always kind of these proverbs of wisdom. And one of the ones, which I'm sure you've heard before, was he'd say to us all the time, always remember, no matter where you go, there you are. And... Paul says to us, wherever there is, remember God is as well. God is there. And so we are challenged to learn to be a people who 
are God-siders. And that's hard, but it gives us the promise that in the muck of our circumstances, and, and I know that sometimes, you know, not everybody's problems are the same in severity, but your challenges and your obstacles and difficulties are your challenges and your obstacles and your difficulties, and mine are mine. And Paul says God is there. There's no place where God's love doesn't reach. There's no place where God's hand isn't felt, where God's presence isn't real. And so sometimes we just need a word of encouragement, a word of hope that God's in it. And God sent Jesus to walk it and to experience, and Jesus says, I'm with you always. And so maybe we should rephrase that little proverb that I remember Dad saying. No matter where you go, there God is. The challenge for us is to have eyes to see it. Let's pray. Gracious Lord, for your presence in the midst of circumstances,